0: This is Eugene Huang with Radio Free Asia. Welcome to our podcast, Eyes on Asia, where we look each week at some of the key stories in the region as covered by RFA and the journalists who cover them. I'm filling in for Matt Pennington and joined by Paul Eckert, who heads RFA's English service. How are you doing, Paul?
1: Well, I'm pretty good. I'm always happy on a Friday with this beautiful summer weather, but uh, again, I have sad news to report from Hong Kong
0: this time. Okay. Well, later in the podcast, I will be talking to Yang Wen about the coronavirus situation in Vietnam. Although early on in the pandemic, Vietnam was being praised for how well it was containing the virus and slowing the spread, after four waves of the virus, it has had more than 14,000 positive cases and 79 deaths, which is still better than many other countries. But now Vietnam is facing criticism over the pace at which it is vaccinating citizens, even falling behind poor countries in the region. Yang will bring us up to speed on what Vietnam is doing to get more vaccines, roll out its own vaccines, and discuss how anti-China sentiment may have prevented Vietnam from using Chinese vaccines as early as other ASEAN countries. But before we consider Vietnam's COVID struggle, our attention turns to Hong Kong, where the feisty Apple Daily newspaper, known for a mix of lurid stories of traffic accidents and sex scandals, as well as painstaking investigative journalism and incisive political analysis, printed its last copy on June 24th. The 26-year-old pro-democracy tabloid is the latest victim of an ever-broadening crackdown on public criticism of the government under a draconian national security law imposed on Hong Kong by the ruling Chinese Communist Party a year ago. Over to you, Paul.
1: Guest today, Amelia Loy, has spent the last week covering the demise of Apple Daily. Thank you for making time for us today, Amelia.
2: Yes, thanks, Paul.
1: Okay, first off, what did the Apple Daily mean to you in your life and career, and how do the day's events make you feel?
2: Mm -hmm. So, I am uh, the Apple Daily has started its first copy um, at 1995, before I come to Hong Kong, because I come to Hong Kong only in 2007 from Macau to like pursue my study in college. So, um, what daily, what Apple Daily mean to me in my life is that, um, it's something. Uh, I don't really buy the paper, the printed paper, but I would check up its application every morning. Yeah, when I go to work. Because it's gives give me the basic idea of what's going on in the city, uh this this moment, also in politics, in everyday lives and uh, yeah, and what's happening around us. Um so it's pretty much my daily life and uh the daily lives of most Hong Kong people in the base. And uh for my career and uh, it is, it is Apple daily is quite a Pioneer in Hong Kong media industry. So we'll always check on Apple Daily to check all oh, what's the breaking news, what's exclusive news, and in depth reporting Apple Daily is uh, giving out. So it is quite a, um, competitive to us as journalists. And we will check up, oh, Apple Daily got this. And uh, we'll, if we are slower than Apple Daily, and you will say, oh, So Apple Daily wins us again on this. So I will describe as it is like, to me, it is something very essential in my daily lives for Apple Daily and for my career, it's also very essential.
1: Essential, so having seeing the paper go away the way it has, how did you feel yesterday? Were you shocked, were you sad?
2: Uh, I'm sad rather than shocked because it's quite as expected is it last for a week already um after the police had uh arrested five um like chief editors and and uh, the senior management of apple daily but um i would say it's like uh, a part of your life is gone with apple daily because uh, once you check up apple daily uh we'll have some thoughts that some of the application or the website of Apple, apple uh, of Apple Daily will still going uh, will, will still keep up and we we'll, we can check up apple daily afterwards but it's suddenly at the same time you got a last copy and the website is not functioning and you can not check up the news report before for apple daily so it's like I would describe like um, a very important friend of you vanished Vanished? Yes, yeah, it's, it's vanished, and it's like um he or she has never appeared on Earth. Wow. Never on Earth.
1: Yeah. Now, yeah, do you have sad. friends? Did 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 you have friends who worked for the Daily?
2: Yeah, I think quite a few. Um, some some are like journalists I uh, that I worked with before, and um, yeah, some of my friends at college time.
1: Classmates that studied journalism.
2: Yes, classmates.
1: Okay. So, uh, this old friend, the Apple Daily, 26 years in existence. Uh, what is your strongest memory of the paper and, of course, the app going forward? W- when you look back, what are you going to remember the most?
2: Oh, I would say what I remember the most is that um, Apple Daily is not a good example when I study uh, in journalism. <laughs> yeah. It w- uh, it's always appeared as a bad example by professors that. Oh, we don't uh, to, to warn us to avoid to make the same mistakes because Apple Daily is quite controversial on the way that it presents its stories. Uh, mm-hmm. like it will use some exaggerated wordings or some um, not an objective angle. Yeah, and it's something that as a bad example when I was back in the in the time as the journalist. Um, but I would say that. It contributes to some basic minds of Hong Kong people like democracy and the fight for freedom. I remember that I would call that in 2019, the start of the movement in Hong Kong, Apple Daily will print that will give up some posters uh, at the times of large protests. So um, people will hold up, like posters with Apple Daily's logo, and mm-hmm. they will hold up umbrellas in the rain with political slogans.
1: Well, they fell victim of the national security law, uh, which has taken a lot of victims in the last year. It's not even a year old, and it's already claimed politicians and other people, activists, and now the Apple Daily. This atmosphere of the national security law, how does it Affect your work as a journalist in Hong Kong. Do you have to be a lot more careful? What is uh, what is it like for you now? Mm,
2: I would say uh, it, it creates a chilling effect in Hong Kong. Um, as a journalist, we we never know the red line of the security law uh, because um. The police will say um, Apple Daily. Those um management levels of Apple Daily are arrested because they give out some articles of foreign sanctions on Hong Kong and China. But yes. they never they never say which articles are are those are those that like are related in the cases. Like their news reports or they are like on commentaries. They never say so. So we never know what will happen. Uh, when we give out. We write our reports, and where is the red line that we can avoid? So we can only be careful with our daily reports to avoid that red line. But we never, when we never know where the red line is.
1: Yeah, that's that's a tough atmosphere. Now, <laughs> yes. now with Apple Daily, we had developments first Jimmy Lai getting arrested. That was even last year. And then, of course, we had the executives. So you said it was somewhat expected. But in your coverage of Hong Kong, when when did you start to think in your mind that perhaps one day China would force the closure of Apple Daily? Did you know this last year or is it something that just became uh, clear to you earlier this year?
2: Oh, uh, I think, um, well, kind of like uh, to be rational, we will, we will expect that. That that will come to an end to Apple Daily because it's a pioneer in Hong Kong and uh, lots of readers and uh, very like uh, into political movements in Hong Kong. But we never we have never thought that it will be that quick and that sudden because um, uh, Jimmy Lai was arrested was arrested uh, last uh, August last year and. Uh, we have thought that so, um, is it the main or uh, Jimmy Lai will be the target, but not Apple Daily? We try to like distinguish, um, Apple Daily from Jimmy Lai because we, we always know that Jimmy Lai is like not favorable by the government. So we think, like, so if they arrested Jimmy Lai, so will they stop by then instead of like getting into Apple Daily? But no, so they arrested five. Management levels uh, of Apple Daily last year and um, get into the company and uh, uh, they even collect like news materials uh, in in the in the search last week yeah. so yeah but but um Apple Daily still go on last Thursday to get printed versions and they work as usual mm-hmm. and they fight. Until the end. And uh, we thought that they will pass through these obstacles once. We thought that we never know. Like, the most important thing is that the government frees their bank accounts. So, stopping like money flows, and they can't really get, they can't really pay the work, the the, the employers, and they can't get the papers get printed. And um, I think. Some of the, some of the, uh, journalists in Nepal, they have told us that, uh, they were, like, the solidarity was there um, last, last year, and they, and the solid, solidarity lasts for around a year, and a whole year. It has been a hard time for them, and uh, they can't stand, they really can't stand that pressure and that, and that, uh, risk anymore, because you can, you can actually see that, um, Two like uh uh management levels of Apple daily got arrested and uh they can be be uh they can be bowed and uh they are sent, actually sent to court not even notifying which articles are co- are convicting the national security law so um
3: yeah yeah
1: it's a that's a idea. very yeah that's a very tough tough environment in which to work. Now, the Communist Party has uh, basically crippled the Democratic political parties in LegCo and in the city, and they've taken out Apple daily. It's easy to imagine that the Communist Party up in Beijing and its helpers in Hong Kong have other targets in Hong Kong. Do you have any idea what's next? For example, the South China Morning Post, although it's an English-language newspaper, uh, does a lot of coverage that uh, draws world attention. Is that a kind of is that is that paper going to be in trouble in the future? Can you what are we what what's what are people afraid of now?
2: Oh, we're afraid that uh, Stand News will, will next. Stand News is um, an online media without print version in Hong Kong, but it is very powerful. So I think. And for only several years, but uh, it grows a lot. And during the the political movement in in Hong Kong in 2019, and uh, it has lots of young readers, and uh, very impactful in Hong Kong. And um, I think uh, it is quite quite similar with Apple Daily that uh, they will they will keep a critical sense to the government and as. To the Beijing so um, yes yeah, quite worrying for them and uh, and the second thing is that uh, uh, they they are uh, sustain their the uh, sustain their uh, they're running with with um, uh, uh, readers donations I so see. it is Yes, with readers' donation, that is quite dangerous. They can freeze your account and say that, oh, it's related to money laundering, and that can kill them already.
1: I see. So even ordinary ordinary subscribers or supporters could get in trouble, or at least get their the payments frozen. Fear.
2: I don't really think that um they will get, like subscribers will, will, will be involved in the case, but they will give out that event. It's similar to Apple Daily. They will, like, The the officials never say which articles are related to the case, and they will never say that, oh, readers, will readers get involved in the case, or will employers of Apple Daily, like frontline reporters, will, will look at in the case. They never say so, but they will say, oh, maybe, maybe. So maybe you will get involved in the case, so to avoid that, so stay away from Apple Daily or stop subscriptions and then everything and even stop sharing the news. So it's quite a fear in Hong Kong that, like, you know, lots of people buy Apple Daily, the last printed copy of Apple Daily uh, yesterday. And there's a fear in Hong Kong that, oh, maybe keeping such a copy in, of Apple Daily will put that into prison some in some time we never know because wow. it, it maybe can may be forbidden in hong kong yeah because i have given some copy to be sent to friends in in the states in and in uk and uh, i'm quite in the fear like will will will, will, I, will I get get myself in trouble with I post it yeah because the um, the officials in the government of hong kong never say clearly what uh, what did uh, will we'll get involved in the case so like
1: I, I yeah. see that's that's very very difficult to navigate and I want to thank you Amelia for taking time out of your busy morning Friday because I'm sure you have to follow up on the, the latest from Apple to share your thoughts and feelings with us uh, it sounds like you're operating in a tough environment in journalism and I want you to stay safe and well and I thank you again
2: thank you very much Paul
0: Okay, today we are joined by Yang Wen from RFA's Vietnamese service, who assures me that she's gotten both of her vaccines. I Welcome have. to Eyes on Asia Yang.
3: Thank you so much, Eugene. Nice talking to you.
0: Yes, so today we are going to talk about the current COVID-19 situation in Vietnam. Uh, for most of the pandemic in 2020, we here at RFA were in the rare position of actually reporting good news about Vietnam because of its success in stopping the spread of COVID-19. And not reporting a single death until late July 2020, when the United States at the same time had confirmed more than 100,000 deaths. But now Vietnam is facing criticism over the pace at which it has managed to vaccinate the public, lagging behind even some of its poorer neighbors like Cambodia and Laos. What made Vietnam so successful initially, and why has that not translated into success in a public vaccination program?
3: Right. So Vietnam, as we all know, has been commended for its deft management of the pandemic early on. And that's partly due to its experience with other outbreaks like SARS. Vietnam indeed has acted swiftly and resolutely to close borders right from the very beginning. It imposed a very rigorous quarantining regimen for those that came from abroad and measures such as social distancing, contact tracing, as well as very effective public messaging campaign and testing. So, so that has led to, as we said, the, the successes early on and perhaps due to the, those successes, you know, that has actually led to some complacency later on at uh, um, different government levels. So, you know, in effect, Vietnam being a victim of its own success because it had such low infection rates in the beginning up until the beginning of this year. Perhaps that led to Vietnam, you know, starting really to get into buying vaccines late uh, at a later, at a late stage when there was already a uh, shortage of vaccines worldwide and this inequity of being able to access vaccines between different countries was becoming very apparent. Some experts also see that Vietnam has perhaps put a lot of hopes into its own homemade, made-in-Vietnam vaccines and hoping for the success of that. So that's why it may have been slow to kind of try to procure vaccines from outside. As we know, Vietnam is working on developing four vaccines domestically, and one of these vaccines is in the third phase of clinical trial. So it's, there's some hope there with domestically made vaccines. And then even if Vietnam were to be able to get all the vaccines that it wanted at this point. There's a lot of questions about how would it go about conducting these vaccination drives and campaigns to achieve its goal of 75 million people by the, by the end of this year in terms of the manpower, you know, resources. One vaccination tracker estimates that Vietnam is, is administrating about 120,000 doses a day at this uh, point, And it really needs to be above half a million a day to achieve its, its goals.
0: Yes. And Vietnam has a population of 96.46 million, mm-hmm. according to statistics. So uh, but what is causing the delays of the public vaccination program? Why, why are they so slow at rolling it out?
3: Some, some experts point to uh, some of the political distraction as well. We had a Communist Party Congress earlier this year, as well as the National Assembly elections, and then, as I mentioned, the um, complacency from the early success, and possibly also a little bit of fatigue amongst different levels of the government, as well as the um, population itself. Um, with the, with the um, pandemic, uh, you know, it's lasted more than a year, and it has... Um, you know, cause a lot of economic um, pain as well.
0: I see. I think everyone in the world is a little bit fatigued (laughs) with the pandemic for sure. So what is Vietnam doing right now to procure more vaccines? What target has it set for its mass vaccination? You did say that it should be more than half a million every day. Is that the target? And how will they get more vaccines?
3: So, so the target that Vietnam has set um, is to get 70% of its adult population vaccinated um, uh-huh. to uh, to achieve herd immunity by by the end of this year. So that's about 75 million people, um, and if you figure that each person needs about two um, doses. That's 150 million doses that they need to acquire by this year. The um, Ministry of Health has said um, in June that it has secured commitments from uh, countries around the world, as well as the COVAX facility, of 170 million doses. But with the difficulty of accessing and securing vaccines, The question of whether these uh, promises are going to be um, able to be kept is another question. Um, As I mentioned, Vietnam was a little late in getting, um, uh, in in procuring vaccines. So right now it is um, attempting to do that with uh, negotiations with various countries, as well as uh, hoping to get um, pledges through the COVAX facility that is led by the WHO. It's also given the go-ahead to private companies to um, procure vaccines. Um, mm-hmm. So really, you know, it, it kind of shows that it's really trying to access all uh, venues, basically, and um, that could be a cause of concern uh, for some people because if you give private companies the go-ahead, you know, first of all, um, how do you ensure the safety of the vaccine? Um, and at the same time, um, you would think that as the as a government, um, you can procure these at lower prices, perhaps than individual companies. Um, and then the distribution of that is is the second question of, of that um, part. Um, you know, what, what, once a company procures it, you know, where does it? Who who gets those vaccines first? Um, and then, kind of, kind of, just to illustrate the um, dire situation right now, Vietnam is has Vietnam has set up a vaccination fund. Uh, and it's very aggressively soliciting donations through text messaging through uh, to, to you know to basically the average person and um as well as from from companies and uh um it's uh, had some success in, in doing that um but a lot of questions remain because even with that goal that the government has set out of 70 percent of the population vaccinated um depending on which vaccines people are getting Um, does that really mean that herd immunity is achieved? And I mentioned earlier, the rate of vaccination, you know, is lagging behind that goal. So um, it could take a long while before um, Vietnam reaches the goal that it has set out for this
0: year. I see. Now, you mentioned the uh, vaccine fund. How much has Vietnam been able to collect so far and how much do they need to achieve their goals?
3: So to get those um, to, to to get the goal uh, in terms of doses, it's uh, it needs to collect about a one point one billion dollars, and mm-hmm. through that vaccination fund, it has um, um, already uh, uh, received about more than three hundred million dollars. So you know, but but it's still short of that.
0: that okay, goal. so about a third of the way there. That's interesting. Yeah, um,
3: but it's interesting that that you know the other thing that is interesting to note is that this effort hasn't started until June. So you can see how it's, uh, you know, at this point, some countries have already begun uh, massive vaccination campaigns. Uh, and we know, we can see from the U.S., for example, that um, it, the U.S. was doing very badly in terms of cases and um, death rates, but the it is the vaccination that is going to get us out of this pandemic.
0: You did mention that uh, Vietnam is trying to produce its own vaccine and that there are currently four under development. Uh, we know that Vietnam's domestic vaccine called Nanocovax was this week submitted for a proposal to the uh, for the urgent approval for local use, but the Ministry of Health declined to approve it. So uh, can you explain what the obstacles to that approval were? Yeah,
3: I I don't know if I can speak to the internal, you know, obstacles, but um. Uh, Yes. So earlier, Nanocovax, um, just a couple of days ago on the 22nd of June, had put in an emergency application, uh, an application for emergency approval of its vaccine. And they did say earlier that they were hoping to put this vaccine to the to market by um, by this year. Um, But the uh, Ministry of Health, as you mentioned, has um, declined that that application and said um, uh, an official with the Ministry of Health said that Nanogen's application was hasty when there is insufficient data, insufficient scientific data. So um, so there's a bit of a uh, strange back and forth right now going on, but the company um, was also criticized for submitting its application directly to um, the Prime Minister instead of the Ministry of Health. and. In an interview with state media, uh, a Nanogen representative said that the health ministry, you know, during phase three clinical trials um, required the approval of the WHO, the World Health Organization. But it was this uh, representative's uh, opinion that approval of this domestically developed vaccine should be a state matter. So they wanted to go to the prime minister for speedy approval. Um, Now, the... um, I had a chance to talk to the World Health Organization um, representative in Vietnam, Dr. Ki Dong Park, um, earlier um, before this happened. But he did mention to me that um, while he commended Vietnam's efforts in producing its domestic, uh, producing vaccines domestically, developing and producing um, vaccines um, uh, made in Vietnam, he did caution that safety and quality and efficacy of the vaccine is, of course, important, and um, even though there's this race to get vaccines produced, um, countries and developers should not skip essential steps. So, the WHO is working um, closely with uh, the Ministry of Health to review findings um, of the uh, phase three clinical trials.
0: I see. Okay. So in a number of countries in Southeast Asia, there's been some resistance to taking Chinese vaccines. And on the 23rd of June, Vietnam announced that it would use half a million doses of the Sinopharm vaccine in its northern provinces. But up until now, Vietnam was the only ASEAN country to have not used vaccines from China. So why was Vietnam so late in accepting the Chinese vaccines? And what was it that led to it finally accepting Sinopharm?
3: Well, you know, uh, Vietnam trailing behind uh, its neighboring countries or ASEAN countries in um, vaccination rates is partly due to that fact that uh, a lot of other ASEAN countries have taken um, donations of vaccines from China. Um, so they, you know, started that process a lot earlier. And uh, Vietnam was uh, not until very recently didn't even approve um, China's Sinopharm vaccine um you know long after the the who had already approved uh the the chinese vaccines um so so that's partly uh the the reason why vietnam vietnam's vaccination rate has trailed other um or that's partly the reason why vietnam has come in last uh, amongst asean countries to to in terms of vaccination you know we know that there is this um uh historic uh Anti-China sentiment within the population, um, but also with, um, per- but also perhaps some hesitancy of at the go- government level to um, approve and accept Chinese vaccines um, because they have been able to, as we mentioned, um, been uh, very successful early on, and that um, early success with handling the pandemic has given them a lot of legitimacy that they d- didn't want to gamble away with. Um, um uh, taking vaccines from from China um so it didn't approve the Chinese vaccine uh until it really had to given that fourth spike of the pandemic in Vietnam um until early June of this year um, and even when um, it accepted the Chinese vaccine, Sinopharm, it did so with conditions. And when Vietnam announced the arrival of the uh, half million doses of, of the Sinopharm vaccine, um, you know, it, it, it tried to blunt this aversion to Chinese-made vaccines um, by saying that by saying that it would go towards inoculating Chinese nationals in Vietnam, and as you mentioned, you know, going to um, Provinces bordering China. So, um, so partly, I guess the the Chinese, the anti-China sentiment, um, has played a role in that um, um, aversion to accepting this China vaccine diplomacy that has worked well with other countries um, in in the region.
0: Okay, and there has been some local criticisms about the shortcomings in the quarantine procedures in Vietnam. So, what exactly is the reason that people are complaining?
3: Yeah, I mean the quarantine procedures definitely had a um, uh, you know desired outcome in, in stemming the pandemic, but um, they are a real hardship on people that have to go through them. A lot of the people that um, have to come back to Vietnam because they work abroad and their visa ran out, or um, they study abroad and you know they have to go back at some point. Um, they have to go through these quarantine procedures, and uh, right now that uh, time frame is set at 21 days. So that's a long time that you're not working, that you're not able to make a living um, and for laborers coming back, you know, that's a huge issue, uh, obviously. Um, And now these are centers where um, they are put together with other people um, arriving from abroad. And uh, I spoke to one um, person who came back from the Philippines just uh, as this um, uh, quarantine time frame was extended from 14 days to 21 days now. And um, he said that, Um, It started out well, you know, they kept things very um, socially distant and to a small group, um, three in a room. And then for some reason, they changed um, quarantine locations and put a lot of people like six to a room with shared bathroom facilities. Uh, So people really started to question the effectiveness of um, these uh, centers quarantine centers um and uh lo, lo and behold you um they had a couple of um cases that became infected off at the 21 day mark so at that point they had to the people that were in the same room with these positive cases had to reset um that quarantine period they were forced to do another 21 days so you know that really is a long time in very bare bones facilities uh being um helped from whatever it is that they they need to do with their their lives to make a living and people just really started to become very anxious very um unhappy um to say the least and um we know that the the pandemic has um wreaked havoc on a lot of people's livelihoods um so so um so In in addition to the economic factor, you have the question of whether it was even effective um, if you're quarantining with a bunch of people and sharing um, bathroom facilities.
0: Okay, well, thank you very much for your insight, Yang. Uh, This has been Eyes on Asia, and hopefully we can see you in the office sometime soon.
3: (laughs) That's all, thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you, Eugene and Yang, for a close look at one of the countries that appeared to be largely spared from the pandemic, only to have it roar back before vaccines were widely available.
0: Yes, indeed. Like I said in our interview, it was somewhat of a nice surprise to be writing good news about Vietnam for a change earlier on in the pandemic. Hopefully, they will be able to reach their goals and achieve herd immunity. Please join us again next week for another sampling of RFA's coverage. Until then, you can visit our website, rfa.org. Our past podcasts are available on platforms like Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iTunes. Just search for Eyes on Asia. If you have any feedback or suggestions, please drop us a line or attach an audio message. Our email is eoa at rfa.org. It stands for Eyes on Asia. I'm Eugene Huang with Radio Free Asia filling in for Matt Pennington, joined by Paul Eckert. This series is created by Leo Kim and produced by Radio Free Asia. Thank you for listening and please join us again.